everyone has different stressors in their life to understand who you're designing for as individuals and as communities. It makes a big difference to the outcome and the success of your project. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Layers of Design podcast. I'm your host, Ebehi. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been a while, but I am so glad to be back. After over a year of inactivity on this side of the design world, We're back with more stories and projects to share. So my first guest back is someone I'd say is a thoughtful and inspiring leader. So let me introduce you to Emily Schickner. Emily is a licensed architect and the first female principal architect at Harrison Design Studio here in Atlanta, Georgia. She has led over 2 million square feet of design and construction from cottage-style homes to over 450,000 square feet of mixed-use, multifamily, and senior living developments. Prior to joining Harrison Design, Emily spent a decade in commercial architecture, focused on private education, country and golf clubhouse, and hospitality design. Emily currently serves a three-year term on AIA Atlanta's Board of Directors as 2023 president, which is where her and I connected. She has also served as the AIA South Atlantic Young Architects Regional Director, graduated from the Christopher Kelly Leadership Development Program, and this year was honored by receiving Georgia's Emerging Professional Award. Emily Schickner enjoys balancing work and volunteer with time with her family, long runs outdoors, hiking, cooking, and traveling. Now in this episode, we dive into different areas of the architecture profession in relation to mental health, being a female leader, taking the Aries, and so much more. So there's a lot to unpack in this episode and honestly we got really personal and I think it's it just turned out really beautifully. I enjoyed working on this episode because we shared personal and professional aspects of working as a designer and an architect on a daily basis. So I really hope you guys enjoy this episode and get inspired. Hi, Emily. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's great to have you on the podcast and finally, you know, getting into this conversation. So welcome. Thank you. I'm so honored to be here and really appreciate you reaching out to me to do this today. So I'm looking forward to it. Nice. Okay, so let's jump right into it. Um, How did you get started in architecture? Um, Well... I got started in architecture because I liked math and I liked art and I put the two together and it was really that that simple. Um, I did not have anyone in my family that was in the art realm, artistic realm, architecture realm. Um, my mother was a teacher and my dad was um, on the business side of uh, agriculture engineer. So uh, when I went to college, I was looking at a program that allowed me to be accepted, I could apply for and allow me to be accepted within the first year versus uh, studying for a year and then deciding I wanted to be into architecture or not. 
so Miami of Ohio was a great program for me. It was very creative based, um, very artistic, hand-drawn, so I submitted an art portfolio and was accepted and then spent my first year really deciding how much I liked it because we were in studios and, mm -hmm. and fell in love with it. Although I have had people tell me, Emily, you'll probably love anything that you do, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm willing to bet that this profession also maintained sanity for me as well. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay, so one question off of that. Would you say you're more technical or design-oriented? I would say I'm more design-oriented and I'm more detail-oriented. Okay. <clears throat> I think that um, I would focus a bit more on the minute details and also try to process the whole picture, but I wouldn't say that my natural instinct is to understand the entire picture up front. Okay. I'm much more detail-oriented. So you also mentioned that, you know, architecture kind of gives you this sanity. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting because, you know, architecture can be, for lack of a better word, a chaotic profession. <laughs> so in, you know, in all of the chaos day-to-day -day and everything that you're managing, especially as a leader, what or how can you say that you deal with your mental health? That's a, that's a, a incredibly important question and um, so valid today. It, it should have been valid for centuries, but mm -hmm. I believe that now it's really coming to the forefront, the mental health side of it. First, I'll, I'll answer that first part of your question about the sanity side of it and how that pertains to architecture when I think some people might maybe even from the outside, maybe from the inside of the profession, say, I don't know, I think it makes me go crazy. Mm -hmm. For me, I, I, I believe I have um, a bit more lean towards an obsessive personality, okay. and that um, obsession aligns well with architecture. Okay. So getting into this profession, making it all-consuming and, and part of your lifestyle, um, while I live and breathe other things outside of architecture, I very much so enjoy that design is all-encompassing. Everywhere you go, you're looking at new uh, vis your visual stimulation. You're looking at structures and buildings and environments and communities. Um, when we study architecture, you don't just study buildings and structure yeah. and um, you know plumbing and mechanical and, and different styles. That's just one little piece of it. I studied rocks, I studied water, I studied the human form, I studied phenomenology. And so that will lead me into the second part of your question, which was, I believe, about mental health. Mm -hmm. um, in grad school, I took an incredible course under um, a visiting architect, Professor Mulgraves, and he uh, provided, um, provided a class on uh, phenomenology and brain sciences and architecture, neuroscience and studying um, different aspects of how the three-dimensional environment impacts how we feel mm -hmm. and looking at our subconscious in that. So when we go into a space that's, I'll use a, a, I would say an easier example to understand would be just natural daylight makes us feel a certain way. We talk about circadian yeah. rhythms. Mm -hmm. So when we're in dark spaces, how do we feel? And where it goes much deeper is actually spaces that are curved versus you know edges and cutouts. I studied in undergrad also media um, and architecture and so when you watch uh, movies and how the backdrop of 
um, you know, really good directors, they'll put certain backdrops behind somebody's head. And, mm -hmm. the, you know, if it's a triangulated shape and um, it goes all the way into branding, why the Tabasco bottle has a sharp, angular, triangular shape and um, why certain brands do better than others just due to how they make us feel. Why do we grab for that brand at that element over another yeah. and it's our tapping into our subconscious and people that can really understand how to do that um, can impact others lives for positives and for negatives so I didn't know that when I got into this profession that we had that capability but learning that we do makes me add to the obsession uh, a huge honor mm. that we are able to touch people's people's lives in a way that they might not even consciously understand. Wow. So we, you know, so I know that you're a big, big advocate for mental health, especially <coughs> in the profession. Why do you think that's so important? To be completely honest, look, look at our society today mm -hmm. and look at our society in the past. You know, that's important too, but where do we want to go? And, um, there's there's two sides to this mental there's many sides to everything I should say but there's two directions I'm seeing come out of this mental health topic with architecture mm -hmm. there's the internal which is the workplace the workforce and how architects in our profession are feeling okay. so a minute on that is we have it, we have been notoriously known for being overworked at not underpaid um, pulling all-nighters, not creating a healthy environment for employees in the workforce in architecture. And so that's something that I think our profession is now really looking hard at, how to create a healthy environment and a work-life balance. There's a really um, good, strong drive, I think, coming out of our emerging professionals in this, in this realm, and um, I think it's very encouraging. There's a strong vo vocal sense from those emerging professionals and I believe they know a healthier work-life balance and they're they're speaking up about it so I'm, I'm excited about that direction the other um, realm or category that I'm seeing with mental health and architecture is how we impact our communities with what we do and design and we have the ability to create spaces that can be free from threat for children, for humans in general. Um, we have spaces that can flood too much artificial light and, and, and not feel like a healthy environment where people can attain quality sleep and control over their lifestyle. We have the capabilities of really encouraging and pushing for a healthy um, produce to be accessible in, in certain communities and pharmacies and clinics and, and things that are within walking distance that might not be there for uh, disadvantaged communities. Um, the stress of individuals and as I said disadvantaged communities but I'll say that everyone has different stressors in mm -hmm. their life. To understand who you're designing for as individuals and as communities um, it makes a big difference to the outcome and the success of your project. I don't think it's hitting the nail on the head for the most um, elaborate design or really 
you know, making your mark on understanding this certain style of architecture that's a historical precedence, which I, I definitely appreciate. Mm. But what really matters, I believe, is understanding your footprint on someone else's life. Yeah. And that you have the ability to to encourage it in a healthy manner and you also have the ability to hinder its progress and um, understanding how you touch people with what you do is really really important I think at the core of architecture yeah I, I really like your perspective you know you take in mental health and kind of categorizing you know the two different ways it can affect our profession because like you said we do see it in the workplace every day and it is important that as designers even if we are creating these spaces for people to be in it's also important that we ourselves are comfortable and we're healthy in our own environments so i'm actually going to backtrack um mm -hmm. you know i want to kind of get more of an understanding of you've told us how you got started but how, you know, how did you get here to Harrison Design? How did you become a leader here? Oh, I, I'm smiling now. We're on a <laughs> podcast, so I, I smile when I, um, I think, get asked that question because I, I am excited to share that the steps that I believe that this firm has taken and mm -hmm. the steps that I've, I've taken in, in my career to, to get here. I, I don't know that my, my goal was always to be I wanted to be an architect by 30 and I said I'm, I'm going to do this this is what I'm going to do I had different people tell me oh go straight into grad school if you don't go straight into grad school you won't go back once you start making money and I graduated in 2008 from undergrad and that was at the right right when that tipping point hit at yeah. the Great Recession and so keeping my my job um, I worked at a different firm at that time uh, they do exceptional wonderful work um chapman coal chapman and i worked for them and they kept as kept me on during the recession and it really formed my understanding of quality management very tough tough decisions that are have to be made and how important it is to have good employees and when you have good employees you do anything you can to keep them on um, then i went to grad school i still worked for that firm during grad school and once I graduated, worked towards uh, becoming registered, which is a gruesome process. Mm -hmm. I remember when I passed my last exam, and my husband was, uh, my boyfriend at the time, he was out of town, and I called him when I passed my last exam, and I was bawling, crying, and he thought something bad had happened. I called him at 5 a.m. because I was up checking, <laughs> and I started bawling, crying. He goes, oh my God, oh my God, is everything okay? I go, I passed. <laughs> But the weight that comes off your shoulders, if that's your lifelong goal mm -hmm. uh, in your career, what do you do next? So I started looking at different opportunities at that time, and Harrison Design hit every box I was looking for, which was uh, the style of architecture. It was you know custom design, detail-oriented, and um, it was close to, close to where I, I lived, and also just the environment that I would be working in. So really looking towards what's my mental health, you know, that, yeah. that I need to focus on. And um, I started here and they just continued to provide support after support after support in different ways. Um, they, we, we started a commercial studio at this company 
and um, look at senior living and how to create healthy environments for seniors. And then I also get the ability to do uh, quality residential work, which is wonderful because it allows me to actually work with some of my friends, some of my colleagues, and, and have that opportunity. Um, as far as getting into the management, management side of Harrison Design, we unfortunately lost um, Bill Harrison uh, to, to brain cancer in um, May of 2020. And uh, that, was a, that was a really tough loss. But at that time, before, before he passed, we were already looking at reorganizing the company in a sense to understand who was, were the next, next people coming up through the ranks and working towards that leadership. And uh, we have an incredible, um, incredible management board at this company. And they really are um, proactive not reactive mm. and that goes a very very long yeah. way with management yeah mm -hmm. yeah and um, that approach helped them to assess the right people um, for the legacy of the company versus the legacy of themselves mm. and they brought on several new shareholders to the company myself as one of them so I was the uh, first female architect to be principal and shareholder at the company so that was wow. but at the, you know at the same time you're you're one of several in a room and it's important to understand that you're representing the whole company and everything that you do yeah. and um, so I see it as an opportunity and a, and a way to grow grow so far at this company versus oh now you're principal and you're management it's that's just the first step in a new category that we get to continue that growth together wow that's amazing congratulations <laughs> so thank you in terms of being a female leader what are some of the challenges that you faced some of the challenges i faced um what we've talked about a bit mm -hmm. is the not seeing another female in management at any of the companies yeah. that i've worked for in upper management um, I was not one to let that stop me. I mm -hmm. think that encouraged me more, but I definitely see that it resonates with, with a lot of people um, when they don't see someone that looks like them yeah. in, that, in that role. I think American Institute of Architects, AIA, and the Atlanta chapter is doing an incredible job with um, approaching that diversity and trying to um, work towards more of that in our profession. Um, but it is, it, it's a challenge even if you don't understand it's a challenge. You're just not seeing it, so you're like, I don't know if I'll ever be that, and you don't really know why. Um, and so that, that was, that's part of it, I think, is understanding your role of when to speak mm. and how to speak and how to push situations that might be uncomfortable because they're new mm. to others um, but you know it's right and so finding that right method and there's no right or wrong that's universal there mm -hmm. I believe that it's very important to understand who you're speaking to and what way they might be re receptive I mean even even last night I had a conversation with my husband about a disconnect and he thought he was communicating something to me and I did not receive it. So <laughs> it's so true to under, you can spend years forming these relationships and you still need to continue spending years cultivating them. 
and respecting them and understanding that as individuals you're speaking to to somebody who is different than you mm -hmm. and they receive things differently and so if that level of respect is there um, I think the sky is the limit it, but it's it's hard to know as a female the audience that you have mm -hmm. and how things are received so trying to take that step back understand who you might be talking to uh, just like clients what's their interests what what drives them what's important to them and if they don't necessarily align with things that might you might think are important to you um, find that commonality because it's there and I think that as a woman that's I would say as a man too but as a as a woman that is very important to have the confidence to speak in a room where you're the only woman definitely definitely mm -hmm. so it sounds like you're a very thoughtful leader <laughs> <laughs> i try but there's still much a lot of growth that of needs course to be of course so with all of the challenges that you've said what would you say are some of the most exciting moments of being a leader exciting moments of being a leader <laughs> i mean anytime that my my favorite moments are when i get to bring in a new client to be honest it's it's so exciting and it's not because oh there's a a, a fee coming in or something mm -hmm. it's because i know that i get to touch that person's life and i get a chance to show them what we do in, in a lot of cases especially with residential they've never worked with an architect before um many of our clients are repeat clients but when it's their first time working with an architect i'm so excited to show them the importance of our profession, yeah. why we do what we do. And every time I have someone sitting across the table and saying, oh, wow, I didn't <laughs> realize you look at all of these yeah. things. And yeah. I said, we have years and years and years of training. It is similar to the medical profession in the sense that we have our, they have their residency, we have our internship, we go through years of, we have board exams like lawyers. We go through this process to be knowledgeable in what we're doing. Mm -hmm. We're not just arbitrarily saying something looks good. We we subconsciously know some things look good, but making the those decisions. Yeah. So I get very excited to have the chance to show a client that's never worked with an architect the importance of our yeah. profession and what we can do. That's you know that's something that I've also been very curious about, like how you know we design i mean we wake up every morning and we design for the public right at least the majority of our clients are and when i mean public i'm saying we're not designing for ourselves another architect exactly. right 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 so it's i also i find it very interesting that a lot of people don't really know what we do i know <laughs> there's a difference when you hire an architect yes. to, there is a difference now whether somebody doesn't want to hire an architect that is their prerogative but there is a difference definitely yeah. so what would you how would you say like we can show the public more of what we do because i think that's a goal like i'm trying to accomplish right mm -hmm. to see how we can sort of bridge that disconnect between architects and the public mm -hmm. that's a, that's a, a great question and that's actually why i got into um the aia and the volunteer with the american institute of architects i i was passionate about our profession and we have the same question mm -hmm. why does the world not understand <laughs> well we do I, I do think back in the day hundreds of years ago it was really 
architects were maybe idolized. They were yes. right there, the, yes. the right-hand man to the king or something. <laughs> but, but now our profession maybe has been, I don't want to say diluted, but I think it's um, been altered in some, in some cases to not so be the forefront of the project lead on who's designing the project. Sometimes mm. it's contractor, sometimes, yeah. you know, it's other, other influences. Um, I think it's AIA, we have a chance to network with the community in many ways. And that allows me, that volunteer, that outreach allows me the chance to be able to speak more in public settings to explain what we do as a profession, as a whole. Mm -hmm. um, as president-elect of the Atlanta chapter, so 2023 I'll be president. It's exciting to know that we have a chance to, again, impact many people's lives, to grow our profession. We're very focused on equity, diversity, and inclusion in our profession, but also layering in, again, that mental health of who you're designing for and the communities that you're designing for and how can we create better, healthier um, environments for humans, yeah. um, also animals, <laughs> and also just our environment in general. You know, I care about the trees. Yes, So I read, a, I read a book recently, The Overstory. Um, it might get long-winded in the middle, but it's just an exceptional book about different types of trees. And they really, the trees can, and I'm going to go on a little tangent here, <laughs> but we have the ability to communicate with each other. Mm -hmm. right? um, trees can talk to each other from miles and miles away. If a tree gets um, a disease that it's starting, it can send feelers out oh, into wow. the environment, into the air, and it passes on to trees that are miles away, and they've done this test, and that tree has, I, I'm, I might use the wrong word here, but like an antibody, for lack of better words, the one miles and miles away will grow an immunity to whatever that oh, disease wow. is that that one tree had. That's amazing. It's mind-blowing, right? <laughs> it deserves respect. It, de it deserves respect. <laughs> Definitely. It deserves respect. I mean, these, these are living, breathing yes. environments that we need to care about. I do. I love Atlanta because of the greenery in it, yes. especially when you look at it compared to, I saw a report recently, compared to other cities, Atlanta has a lot of greenery, but it's very important that we understand that we respect it and keep it. Yeah, I definitely mm -hmm. appreciate the greenery in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you brought up AIA a couple times and mm -hmm. networking. Mm -hmm. So I would like to, you know, get into the whole networking in our profession. Why do you think it's important to network and be a leader at architectural organizations like the AIA? I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. I wanted to let you all know about a new layer to our interviews. So in addition to each audio episode, we'll be creating short video interviews where we'll ask our guests a few questions in a space they resonate with. We're hoping this gives you more insight into our guest. So if you did not catch Emily's video interview on our Instagram page, head over to at layers of design underscore to watch it. Now let's get back to the episode as Emily answers why she thinks it's important to network and be a leader at professional organizations like the AIA. 
that ties into, I think, have my thought process on what makes me feel whole. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to tell someone else what makes them feel whole, but what I found is doing something for myself, doing something for my profession, and doing something for my community makes me feel whole. And so what I feel those entities are fulfilled by is AIA is something for my community. Um, being at work and being a leader at this, one of the leaders at this company helps me feel fulfilled that I can help make progress and change and encourage growth at this company. Um, and then doing something for myself, first and foremost before I start any day, um, helps me be able to serve those other areas uh, more freely mm -hmm. um, with a clearer mind and a, a more pleasant attitude, I would say. Uh, networking is, is critical. It's critical to our world and our environment to architects understand the direction that our environment is going. And it's really important that we speak about the importance of our profession in, and the role that we have in our environment. Um, and then I also would say networking on the other side from a business standpoint is very important yeah. to make sure that you're looking at um, the legacy of your company, that you care about your employees. We talk about projects of different sizes, but any one project that an architect works on, you look at how many people that project might touch. It, it's very, very quickly, very easily 500 people. From I could say just a, a thousand square foot home, let's say, mm -hmm. because of all the different components that go into that built structure. Yeah. It's it's not just you know my team of five or six that are I'm working with in my studio. It's the people you're building for, the people that will use it, and then it's all the people that are employed on that job site. And then you can take it all the way up to you know a 450,000 square foot structure that we built recently, and how many lives that one touch just in the process of construction, let alone who's going to be residing in it. Yeah, wow. So amongst everything you're doing, right, you're a leader, you're volunteering, it sounds like you read a lot, and I know you enjoy cooking. <laughs> I, do. <laughs> I do, I love cooking. Um, I know you just became a, you recently became a new mom. So how does that tie into everything? Because I think myself included um being a woman in this profession that asks a lot from you the how demand. do you yes the mm -hmm. demand thank you how do you kind of manage everything I'm, I'm glad you asked because i do care to speak up towards towards that journey because it was a long one and a difficult one um we are fortunate that it ended that it, it ended beautifully, mm -hmm. you know, or that it's in a beautiful moment mm -hmm. um, right now. But um, that alone is a challenge for women in our profession. I haven't really touched on that part first, which that part earlier, which was when you are, I would say, of, of the general public, and I might roll my eyes as I say that because <laughs> the general population considers you of childbearing yeah. age. I believe that to each their own and when they wish to have a child. Um, but that time frame, whether, you know, let's say management is looking at you and wondering if you're having a child or not, and they're not supposed to, right? The subconscious, it, whether it's conscious or subconscious, it does filter in, I believe. Mm -hmm. It's hard not to. Hey, she's, she's married, 
you know, yeah. and, and whether they ask or not, it's hard for that to not weigh on um, women in our profession. We lose a lot of women during that time frame because whether they're registered or not, it's hard to be paid what we're paid mm-hmm. and then also pay for childcare mm-hmm. out of that salary. Um, so, so that's an issue with, I think, in general, just um, childcare and the funding, the funding of that and making that economical for people. I, then I will also say that the fertility, and I choose to use the word fertility instead of infertility. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that we call you know infertility clinics, yeah. but I'm I'm advocating, and maybe I'm on my own path here. But <laughs> I I always use the term fertility um, journey it was long and it was arduous and it was in, incredibly strenuous on my physical being and my mental mm. being and trying to come into work every day and be able to focus, yeah. you know, for your clients and for your team was really hard. I, I was very, very thankful to have work at that time as an outreach, but we, um, we had three miscarriages before wow. uh, we had Evelyn. And that journey, the first one, um, they're, all, they're all difficult, yeah. but that, <laughs> that first one, um, was a year-long recovery and a very extreme situation that uh, resulted with with actually me having to go to a clinic i went to three different hospitals and um it was a i was i was in the situation where you might not live emily if you don't don't handle this right now there's no chance of survival for the baby inside of you um and had to go to a, a clinic actually and and Thankfully, they were there to help and um, help save my life and help save my ability to have children in the future. Um, so I am so grateful for Atlanta and it providing the medical services for women in this environment. Um, and then layering into that, that I wasn't comfortable talking about it at first yeah. and realized that I was in at a at a company with colleagues who would do anything to support me, but they didn't know mm. um, what support they didn't know what support I needed. So when I started sharing and being a little more open about it, I, I try to keep personal and work separate. Yeah. But yeah. The, but when you can't help, that's you're having to leave work to go. To, I had to leave every week, every month. Um, you know, initially it was every week to go get blood tests after mm-hmm. I lost the first baby. I had to go every week. Um, to make sure that there wasn't a tumor growing back and and get blood tests and so when you're having to leave the office like that I realized that I wanted it to be clear what I was doing and that I wasn't you know leaving work and and (laughs) teach their own with whether they wish to share Mm -hmm. or not Mm -hmm. but I knew I was in enough of a supportive environment that if I did share that they would they would do anything to support, which meant just giving me the space to go to this appointment. And if it meant that I came back 30 minutes later because I was crying too hard to get out of the parking <laughs> deck, they, they gave me that time and space. And um, so I respect and honor this company and its leaders and management to, that provided that space for me 
um, and my husband. I, I, they actually, I remember an email uh, from Bill Harrison that came to my husband that said, if there's anything that you need, you know, to wow. my husband, please let me know. And, um, and that goes all the way through today. As a new mom, you know, Evelyn is incredible and wonderful and, and amazing, but uh, the fertility journey to get there and the grace and time that my company gave me and, and then was able to form a maternity leave that worked for mm -hmm, me, specific mm -hmm. for what worked for me. Um, and then I, I, was, I came back to work and was excited. We are very lucky to have um, excellent care for Evelyn. And that put my mind at ease to feel comfortable with who was watching, watching our child. But just, just last week, I was sitting um, in a meeting with the president of our company and he said to me, I want to make sure your soul is fulfilled. And as a new, I, I teared up and I don't cry very often, but you're, you're stone-faced when it comes to things. But to hear somebody ask that as a, as a new mom and you're like, yeah. you're giving everything in every way you can and someone make sure that your soul is fulfilled is just, thank you. Yeah, especially in the workplace. I can't yes. imagine. Yeah. Yes, and that's all it takes sometimes is yes. somebody just saying, and, and he was coming from the whole management board and just making sure I was happy where, with what I was doing and where I was going to be going with the company. And to ask that is something I want to retain and mm -hmm. pass it forward. And I, I believe you're only as, only as good as your own management teaches you to be. And so I hope that those things I remember and learn and pass forward, um, giving people grace and time to be themselves, to process whatever yes. they're going through and um, and I, I know you have you have yes, you part know, of your story I, too. Yes. So well, first of all, thank you so much for sharing. I know it's not an easy topic. It's not an easy experience to go through. And um, it's funny because when I was looking for a guest to sort of relaunch the next portion of this um, podcast, I don't know for some reason I was just drawn to you, and this was even before knowing your story. But um, I think it's, it's more exciting that we've had very similar, similar experiences in the pregnancy journey aspect. Um, you know, I recently had a miscarriage, and it was, it was definitely the hardest thing I've ever experienced. Mm -hmm. um, and I think part of what made it so challenging was the company I was at, was they were very supportive, right, in the best way that they could be. I feel like there still could have been some sort of room in the case where you know I was still being put on deadlines and things mm -hmm. like that during that period, whereas me just taking the time to heal, so it was there was still this pressure, and I think it's very important for women to be in environments that they are completely supported as mm -hmm. you've been through mm -hmm. the experience. So I just really enjoy this conversation, and I'm, I really appreciate you for being so open and sharing your experience. I, 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 I love that you're doing a podcast that <laughs> shares who's behind, who's behind this building or who's behind this, this voice or this mm -hmm. conversation. You're absolutely right. You know, we are all humans. We're all individuals. Any building is going to be better when more, you know, yes. they say too yes. many cooks in the kitchen, <laughs> but sometimes I believe that getting the extra influences from other personalities, other people. That's why we have teams that we work with. 
Um, but I also, it really resonates with me when you say I'm a human and the time it takes to heal. Yeah. Um, I don't think that a certain level of that pain of that extreme loss ever leaves you. Yeah. But I do think you learn to wake up every day and say, I'm not going to let it break me. Yes. And yes. there's a time where it does. Every, and again, it, it did for me at least. Mm -hmm. There's a time where it does break you. And understanding, and that's, that goes back to, that, I think, the very first thing I was saying, where you understand who you're in that room with. And you might not understand exactly what they're going through, but you, you're seeing that today might be a broken day. Mm. And they need that time to heal with women in particular and fertility journeys. Yeah. I remember saying to my husband, you can, you can go to work and you can disconnect from the reality of what we're dealing with. And I said, when I go to work, I'm reminded every second because I'm in, I'm, my body is physically yes. dealing with yes. it. And uh, I can't separate it as much as I want to and um, and, and I shouldn't I shouldn't discredit that for your partner it is so painful to yeah. watch someone and not be able to help them so yeah. there's a whole other different level there too but um, you can't as much as work was a nice way to hide from it you couldn't hide mm -hmm. you can't hide from it and so there is that human element and and giving that time to heal is so, so important. Um, and, and, and just to say, hey, we don't understand. Your journey is your journey. I, even though we both went through some, mm -hmm. some for, we both went through fertility journeys or are going, continuing to go through them, um, doesn't mean that my story is exactly your story and vice versa and that you have your own journey. Yeah to walk through and all I can say is I'm here for support. Thank you. Thank you mm -hmm. so much. So with everything we've talked about and getting to know you a bit more, do you have some advice or tips for women that are seeking to either be leaders in organizations or in the workplace? I will say that um, be understandably and respectfully aggressive. Mm. Know your audience and I would say Fulfill your realms, something for yourself, something for your community, and something for your, your profession, your career. And do not waver from that. If somebody is demanding something of you, but you have not had your minute that you need for yourself, you have every right to speak up about that and say, I need my minute, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> and um, I would say the, you know, understandably and respectfully aggressive respect your audience know who you're speaking to and and know that you don't know what's behind their eyes and what's behind, what shoes they've walked in so be understandable about understanding about that and respectful about that and then where we get into the aggressive side of it is I was uh, in labor at the hospital and clicking send on hundred person email to to to, uh, to campaign to be the president. The, yes, <laughs> it worked. It worked. And I said, I said, Evelyn was um, well. We didn't know boy or girl. So, I'm, while I'm very 
obsessive in particular and organized when it comes to fertility, you have no control. You have no say. Yeah, yeah. So my daughter, I think, would have been happy in me for another month if I... <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I was in the hospital um, a week past her due date. So I spent that week, you know, com campaigning. I was like, I have some time. <laughs> campaign. And then I go to the hospital and I had an email teed up and I went, well, <laughs> this well. labor's taking a while. <laughs> Bring on the Pitocin. <laughs> and clicked send on that email. And then, uh, yeah, then, you know, just I, I was aggressive about it. I knew when and where to be aggressive. And um, so I didn't waver on that. It was something I wanted, and it was something that maybe maybe could have been questioned. Hey, mm -hmm. you're having a baby, and yeah. can you handle this? And you know what's going on and and I said this is this is important and this is something that if it's important it's going to get my attention and my time and I hope it's still <laughs> that I, I hope I have continued to fulfill that duty and that role as I promised so definitely um, but obviously first you know daughter comes first and yes. family and yes. and all of that but but you know there's you work through those hours of the day and you figure it out and um, it's all been wonderful. It's all been wonderful. And even the really, really, really tough parts that really broke us and put us in a dark, dark place for three years um, made us so much more resilient. I married my husband and I remember saying like, you know, when people ask, oh, why, why are you guys getting married? And, oh, we have a lot of fun together and life is great <laughs> and things are, things are wonderful. I've never really been, you know, challenged in a difficult manner. My family moved me overseas when we were younger. Mm -hmm. We moved to Tokyo, Japan. I was raised over there um, for my dad's job and my mom taught at the school. And it was an incredible experience. It opened so many doors. So it was a challenge, but it was a wonderful opportunity. So I never felt like I experienced um, dep being depressed, being sad, yeah. or something I couldn't control until a certain stage of my life when I was dealing with the fertility journey. And um, it was dark, but at the same time now, or even in the middle of it, I, I said, I married my husband because I was happy yeah. with him and it was wonderful and it was great times, but I will be with, now I say I will be with him forever because of the resiliency that we created during that time wow. so I I um, I will say it's it's not it's not easy and I'm definitely here to support you for any any part of it that and and your and your husband yes. as well it needs support <laughs> too so. that's beautiful thank um, you so before my final questions do you have any question for me um I do actually okay okay and I, I love that that you had a question for me to question you <laughs> what do you hope this podcast achieves wow you know I've gotten that at different stages right now I started this podcast to really just listen and share experiences of different architects and you know see who's behind the buildings but as it's grown, you know, one, I really enjoy speaking with people. And um, I hope to achieve a few things. One of them is that for hopefully this podcast to be interesting enough for, you know, more than just architects to listen to it. So hoping that this podcast to start 
bridging a connection between you know the public and architects and also just giving architects a platform again to share their experiences and showing architects that we have this one skill we wake up and we're architects right but we also have a number of other skills that are hidden and that we can just explore yeah. um, and just not being afraid to step outside of that box that we've all sort of put on ourselves. I love it. I'm, I'm so <laughs> thankful you. for you and for your energy to be to be doing this and, and putting this together. And it's it's beyond my realm of understanding how to even <laughs> hook a mic up to somebody. <laughs> but um, it's it's really exciting. It's exciting for our profession. Yes. And, and to get it out there to the community yes, too. definitely. So my last question for you is, what is your favorite place or where is your favorite place to clear your mind? Running. I always can clear my mind with something I don't even know might be bothering me during that time. Um, it's, it's my time and it's my space. And I also enjoy, you know, even when I'm traveling, I enjoy being able to see different when you when you travel you can see things different ways with you know are you in a car are you walking down the street but when you run you get to see so much more yeah. and sometimes you're up before stores open or coffee shops are open so you get the you get to see the behind the scenes a bit in um in especially in urban environments mm -hmm. but um, countryside too. I mean, I ran and I, we took a trip to Ireland, and I'm running next to the cows, and you, <laughs> you take a, you know, just it's just a great, great way to clear my mind and to, you know, assess my pulse and where I'm at. And um, some days that run is a walk, <laughs> other days, That's other okay. days it's a sprint. <laughs> it's just that I, it, it's my time. You can't look at your phone when you're yeah. running. You can't do that. So you just run. That's true. <laughs> just run. I'm not a Forrest Gump situation. Even <laughs> but I do enjoy that. Mm -hmm. And then cooking too. Oh yes. That's why I don't like. I don't like when I have to follow a recipe. But um, yeah, I don't like following recipes. I either. don't. But I will say that I have a a mindset I I created. I don't know if this is true or not. But I believe it to be true that you can eat as much of anything as you want so long as you made it all yourself. Nice. I believe it's Ooh. calorie in for calorie out. Okay. <laughs> Not that I'm obsessive <laughs> or counting calories here, but I just think about the amount of energy it takes to make bread or pasta. Oh, yeah. But if you make it from scratch, it's equivalent, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting perspective. I mean, I've, I've tried to make my own mozzarella cheese, and that was a fail because I was like, I want to eat as much of it hard. as I want. It is impossible. You can't get the right milks. <laughs> and well, it's been great having you on, Emily. Thank you so much Thank for you. your time. Thank you. Thank you so much for the excellent questions and giving me a chance to share today. So I appreciate it.